Peace in a Pod. My name is Inigo Trinkhauger, and I'm a communicator at the Peace Research Institute of Oslo. My job here is to help researchers convey their work. Usually that means talking to the media, politicians, other stakeholders, and colleagues. With this podcast, that means talking to you. In the last few years, technology has played a huge role in Myanmar's politics and life. From the use of Facebook in the Rohingya genocide, to the military's hold over internet access during the coup, to the recent attempted exit of Telenor, one of the most instrumental telecommunications companies in the country, technology and infrastructure there have changed rapidly over the last decade with radical results. Today, Prio Research Professor Stein Tundesen will explain how Facebook and Telenor in particular went wrong and right in the country, and what lasting effects those companies have had. Stein primarily focuses on East Asia, including Myanmar, in his research. He previously led the project Social Media in Armed Conflict, the case of Myanmar. So here we are again, Stein. Uh, this is the bonus episode following um, yesterday's conversation about situation in Myanmar. And because we did not have enough time to address everything, uh, we wanted to talk today about Myanmar, Telenor, Facebook, and and perhaps private companies in general, tech companies, and um, the situation there. Uh, this is an area of expertise for you, so I'm excited to hear what you have to say. Let's start with Telenor, a Norwegian company. And before we get into the situation that they are in, in Myanmar, maybe you can start by explaining what Telenor is for those of us who are not Norwegian. Well, I, I've known that company under an, another name all my uh, all my life because it was founded in the late 19th century as the Norwegian States Telegraph and Telephone Company. And it continued being that until the 1990s when it became a shareholder company and it was privatized in 2000 so that it got also private shareholders. But the government has retained a majority of the shares until this day. And after it was privatized, it also internationalized so that it, it has uh, established telecom services in many countries, including several countries in Asia, such as Thailand, Bangladesh, both neighbor countries to Myanmar. And also for some time they operated in India, although that was not such a success. Yeah, I remember traveling in Thailand and I went to go get a temporary SIM. And it was going under a different name, but I definitely recognized that logo. Um, and I realized that it was indeed Telenor that I was, I was getting my SIM card from. Um, so why did Telenor start operating in Myanmar? I mean, from everything that you explained in the previous episode, um, Myanmar has been very tumultuous uh, for many years. There have been better periods and worse periods, but it seems like a bit of a risky bet. In 2011 uh, to 12, uh, Myanmar was still in the situation uh, that Norway was until the 1990s with one monopoly, the Myanmar Post and Telecom, MPT, which is today a competitor for Telenor in Myanmar. But the World Bank has started a study of the telecom market and its p possibilities in Myanmar and got contact with a reform-minded minister in General Thaimsein's government. They, uh, the government then decided to make to announce a bids for establishing telecom operations for international companies in Myanmar, so you would get competition. 
and they gave two licenses, one to Telenor in 2013 and one to a Qatar-based company called Urdu. And then at the same time, the MPT, the Myanmar Post and Telecom, uh, established a corporation with a Japanese company to privatize and build itself as a modern competitive firm. Uh, after that again, the Myanmar military engaged in a cooperation with the Vietnamese military uh, and the Vietnamese military controlled company Viettel to establish a fourth telecom operator in Myanmar. So you got four, Telenor, MPT, Orado and Mutel, which was this joint venture between Vietnam and Myanmar. Please notice that among these were no companies from major powers such as the United States or uh, the larger European powers or China. So in a lecture that you gave um, and which sort of inspired this episode and which you're also going to turn into an op-ed, you ask yourself the question, was it acceptable or responsible of Telenor to actually go into this market? And, and your answer was yes. Um, what is your reasoning there? There has been, has been much criticism in Norway against Telenor for uh, some of its engagement abroad. And it has been natural for many people now to think after Myanmar has been forced, now after Telenor has been forced to sell off its company in Myanmar, that perhaps this was wrong from the first, first instance. I don't think so. I think I have been immensely proud actually of being a Norwegian in Myanmar and seeing how popular uh, Telenor was. Telenor for a short while last year was the biggest of the telecom operators. You could see the logo of Telenor all over the country, everywhere you could see this light blue logo. And when you spoke with people who were responsible and um, conscious users of telecom services, they all always trusted Telenor more than the other telecom operators to defend their privacy. Uh, so politically engaged people would prefer Telenor. But many people in Myanmar would also for safety have SIM cards from all the telecom operators at the same time and switch between them according to which was cheapest and which was mo most secure in the various places. Wow, that's, that's very interesting. Savvy people, really. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned very quickly there that Telenor sold the business in Myanmar. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Yes. But first, can we just discuss what happened um, after the coup in February where Telenor was having to deal with some very difficult political situations. And of course, this really hit the news in Norway because, as you said, a lot of people felt that it was uh, not defensible, um, what, what was happening, and with the military kind of pressuring Telenor to uh, do their bidding, essentially. Can you just explain a little bit of what happened there? When uh, the resistance uh, rose against the coup, the coup makers and their new temporary government demanded of all the telecom providers that they should shut down the internet in certain areas and at certain times. They also asked them to shut down certain IP addresses uh, for people they were suspecting of being opponents of the regime. And they asked them for access to monitor telephone calls 
and of course they wanted the telecom operators to do this discreetly. The three competitors for Telenor probably did what they were told. Uh, this was in their license. The government had the right to demand such things in criminal cases. Here they had to do it in political cases. Telenor had a policy that they had established before that if they were asked or uh, instructed by the government to do such things that actually were in conflict with basic human rights and the values of the company, they would publicize it. First, they would demand that the instruction should be in written, signed instruction in written, so it could be documented. Then they would run it through an evaluation process and then they would go public with it when compliant. And this Telenor did in the two weeks after the coup. Twelve times they published what they had been instructed to do so that their users would know it. I think this was an excellent praxis. Then after two weeks, it, this praxis ended because Telenor had been instructed to stop publishing. That was when Telenor felt that it got into uh, an untenable situation. So it started internal discussions, we must assume, about what to do in that situation. And the first thing the company did was quite drastic. Uh, Accounting-wise, uh, before the shareholder meeting, the company wrote off the whole value of uh, the company, which had been estimated at $654 million. Big, big, big uh, financial loss. Mm. So it shows that the company thought suddenly that the co its company had lost all value. And then the next thing one learned in July was that the company in Myanmar had been sold to a Lebanese group, the M1 group, which was already active in Myanmar as owner of a tower building com company. And anyone assumed on the basis of the record of that M1 group who's been operating in countries like Yemen, Yemen and Sudan and other authoritarian places, that they would probably do what your other three did and just do what they were told by the military authorities. So the disappointment was enormous from the customers of Telenor. And again, I'm referring to your lecture when I, when I say this, you asked yourself the question, was it defensible for Telenor to sell their business to this M1 group? And to that you answer no. Yes, I think not. I understand that the company was in an extremely difficult situation, but I think it ran away from its responsibility when it did that sale. My hope would have been that the company had instead decided to stand on its principles, continue to publicize what it was instructed to do by the government, uh, even though the government said it could not do it, and then simply risk being closed down. It had been better to be closed down by the military government than to run away the way that it did now. Of course, I'm also afraid that the user data that the company has had will be handed over in full to the new buyer who may use the user data, need the user data for commercial purposes, but also make it available to the government so the government can track down all information about who phoned whom when and spoke how long together in the period when Telenor was in Myanmar 
that would be very useful for policing surfaces purposes for the dictatorship. So therefore, I must say that I sympathize with a complaint that 474 civil society organizations in Myanmar have made to the OECD, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, uh, which has for 10 years now had um, uh, guidelines for the way that multinational companies can behave responsibly in countries where they invest. And Norway has a contact point for the OECD, which is now handling this complaint and which will make an initial assessment and then probably invite the parties to mediation. I hope very much that Telenor will take part in that and which plays role in that mediation so we can clarify if there is any kind of ethical defense for selling off the company to someone we hardly can trust will take care of the privacy of Telenor's customers. And what could be the potential outcome of that mediation, assuming that the parties actually come to the table? The first thing is that Telenor still exists in Myanmar today. The sales process has not ended. I don't know if it can be stopped, but I um, expect that the complainers will have ideas for what Telenor could do with its data in order to protect the interest of its customers before the company is handed over in full to the buyer. And the next thing is simply for uh, learning. If the uh, OECD uh, or the Norwegian contact point should come to the conclusion that Telenor has behaved irresponsibly, then it will be s explain how it did that. And this will serve as a warning for other companies in the future. And could this also have an effect on any uh, other companies that are currently active in Myanmar? The other three companies are not probably vulnerable to the same kind of criticism. Uh, Vietnam is also an authoritarian state. Uh, the MPT has a Japanese uh, collaborator, but they could probably replace the Japanese with someone else, and the Japanese are there not as owners, but as a kind of technical uh, technical venture. Um, and then Oredo, the Qatar-owned one, maybe it would be affected, but it would be in a weak position to uh, oppose the government. I don't expect Oredo, which has not uh, joined in Telenor's criticism on the basis of human rights to uh, fall to abide by any criticism that it might get. Okay, so moving beyond Telenor, I'd love to touch on Facebook. Um, you kind of alluded to this, but Myanmar has gone through a very rapid technological shift, and Facebook has been a big part of that. A lot of people like to say that Facebook is synonymous with the internet in Myanmar. Um, so what is Facebook Facebook's history there? And uh, what is Facebook's situation now in light of the coup? And perhaps you could also briefly touch on um, Facebook's role in the genocide of the Rohingya. Okay. Um, I know it's a lot you, to cover there. <laughs> if you compare uh, Telenor with Facebook, Telenor is a very, very small player. 
Facebook is the player in Myanmar. And the basic difference is that the telecom providers like Telenor, they do not have uh, data on the content of what people are communicating. Text messages perhaps for a while before it's stricken off the record, but uh, not much content. Facebook is content and Facebook is the main portal to the internet in Myanmar. Facebook was very early at establishing a Burmese language version of its application. So Facebook was established already at the time when NPT had a monopoly in Myanmar. And when the competition started between the four telecom providers, uh, telecom was basically installed on all new smartphones sold sometimes also with pre-installed friendships uh, what does that entail <laughs> you bought you bought uh, facebook uh, from a dealer and the dealer had uh, made it ready for you also with a number of friends that you could trust would give you the right information and you would you would also follow certain uh, companies or media on Facebook and have that pre-installed for you before you bought it. So uh, Facebook has had a kind of monopoly in on not only on social media but on media in general. If you wanted to read a newspaper digitally you would enter it through Facebook and when Aung San Suu Kyi won the elections in November last year the Electoral Commission published the election results on Facebook. Facebook dominates completely and Facebook sits on more data about, vastly more data about the Myanmar population than any other institution in the world. Then comes another big difference between Facebook and the telecom providers. The telecom providers, they have invested a lot of money in equipment. They have built towers, they have led fiber, they have created ditches for the fiber all over Myanmar. A huge investment and they have office buildings inside Myanmar that make them vulnerable to pressure from the government. Facebook has only needed to invest in uh, software and in creating algorithms uh, that work in the Burmese language and some of the minority languages and hiring some people to monitor uh, the contents to remove undesirable uh, messages. And they have been able to do this, all of this from a skyscraper in Singapore. Facebook has never established any physical presence inside Myanmar, although it sits on all this data. And it keeps all the data outside of Myanmar. The, there has been pressure on Facebook to establish a presence in Myanmar itself, but it has resisted. It has not wanted to be vulnerable to the government and it has not wanted its staff to be present in a country where there could be violent threats to their, to, to their personnel. Uh, this proved to be an enormous boom after the coup. After the coup, Facebook was able to criticize the coup, to take a stand and to ban 
military-owned um, sites or accounts on Facebook uh, without the military being able to do much in return. It tried to close down Facebook and it tried, tried to get the telecom providers to close down Facebook. But first of all, the government itself depended on Facebook. <laughs> so on one occasion, they closed, they ordered the close down of the Facebook and then they sent out a press release on Facebook right <laughs> after that. And the banks depended on Facebook and the military depended on the banks. On the other hand, also the users in Myanmar learned how to use a virtual private network VPN so that they could use, continue to use Facebook even when uh, the government closed it down. So Facebook has continued to dominate till this day. And you cannot easily see any way that the government can manage to put anything in its place. The government has tried to, re re to, to use other social media, but actually the opponents of the government have been better at that. They have now learned how to use for communication, to use Signal, for instance, which is, secret, uh, is seriously encrypted, mm. and WhatsApp and Telegram. And they also have been active in using Twitter, mainly for communicating about what's happening in Myanmar to the rest of the world. The government is not very good at that. This also has to do with the question you asked about the Rohingya. Facebook was used in 2016 and particularly in 2017 for an immensely nasty hate campaign against the Muslim Rohingya in conjunction with the military's uh, ethnic cleansing in Rakhine state, uh, leading to the presence of close to 900,000 uh, Rohingya in Bangladesh today, Many of them most of them living in camps. Uh, Facebook got criticized for this internationally. And that criticism against Facebook came at the same time as the crit criticism for the Cambridge Analytica scandal mm. and for the Russian hacking of, uh, of the Democratic Party in the elections that brought Trump to power in uh, the United States. So Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg, the uh, CEO of Facebook and founder of Facebook, uh, saw a risk that Facebook would be seen as also guilty of having contributed to genocide. So then he decided in uh, August 2018, exactly the same time as a very critical report was published by a United Nations Commission to ban from Facebook Commander-in-Chief Min Aung Lai and a number of other military-controlled accounts on Facebook. Hmm. So this meant that the one who later would carry out the coup was put under a spell or a ban by Facebook at that time in 2018. The uh, new accounts that were banned after the coup were some that had been established by the military later, a little bit under the radar. But in a way, Facebook has enormous power. So the power it had to ban the military for what it had done to the Rohingya 
was probably something that contributed to the feeling of isolation in the military and that may be have been one of the causes for the coup mm. on this basis i have developed the view that i think that facebook shouldn't ban institutions or persons who are uh, essential uh, power holders in other countries they should ban certain types of mess types of messages and make sure that they can remove hate messages so quickly that they cannot be shared by others and they should publish it on facebook when they do it but they should not ban persons or institutions as a whole facebook has done that in myanmar also with the buddhist nationalist mabata group who contributed to the hate campaign at the time very strongly and they have also banned four non-state armed groups that have fought against the army uh, the so-called northern alliance they are also important local power holders that should not be banned in entirety but they should be prevented from using facebook to call for violence or to show pictures of killed enemies and things like that you know it's kind of funny that you're describing that essentially the government or the the government and or the military are struggling with the same problems that we all are which is deleting our facebook um but just in a much worse atmosphere exactly and and uh and not to be too humorous about it but what you're describing makes it sound like facebook has in a way become a utility yeah. i mean we talk a lot about for example in the u.s that some lawmakers have argued the internet should be a utility it should not be yeah. a, a private service so considering that something similar has happened with facebook in myanmar do you think well what do you think is facebook's responsibility there i think um the main problem with facebook i think is the lack of transparency as to their algorithms and i've seen how violent material continues to spread extremely quickly and how facebook is unable to remove it in time so um, this these algorithms that tend to um, strengthen what many people um, click on if if they click on something you get they get more of it that's that's a very um, dangerous kind of algorithm so i would like to see international transparency about the algorithms uh, facebook and other companies should be under some kind of obligation to publish their algorithms and this must be by law because it's so com commercially important for them to keep it secret so it must be enforced but on the other hand i i see the main source of of evil in uh, myanmar is the military and the military now controls the government so with a dictatorship like myanmar is today i see it as an enormous advantage that the media uh, has a foreign company as like facebook uh, as a dominant force and i see it now as an enormous advantage that facebook withstood the pressure to establish itself inside myanmar so it's not under pressure from myanmar uh, government or myan or or opinion among the 
military leave to Myanmar, it's instead uh, under pressure from international public opinion, which is critical of the military government. Thank you so much for your insights, Stein. Thanks for making Critics Peace a part. This podcast is a production of the Peace Research Institute Oslo, CREO, located in Bergen. For more information, visit creo.org. Editing, recording, and hosting by me, Indigo Tripacker. Music by Mark Pettigrew.